0: We're jumping into a mini-series called God Encounters. And uh, I just want to maybe take today to set something up for us as a house and as a community, um, just in terms of where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I need you to understand something from the beginning, that you are actually wired, created, and designed for daily encounters with God. Like right at the very essence and core of our vision and mission statement as the church is to be a people of daily encounters with Jesus growing in the revelation of who he is. And I need us to, to be rooted and grounded in that to understand where we're going because we're going to look at characters and, and people in the Bible, men and women, of these next couple of weeks and we're going to see that God is telling the same story over and over again through their lives and he's doing it through yours. I think where the Western church gets confused sometimes is we're, we're asking God to help us write our unique story and hope that he'll bless it. It's like, God, I want to see what you've put in me. I want to do that. I want to be unique. I want to be diverse. I want to see this unique expression, and God, I really hope that your hand is on it. And so that can be in your business and your assignments your your ministries or whatever it is that you do suddenly we begin to hope that God's going to bless what I'm doing rather than saying God I actually want to be a vehicle for your story a vehicle for your dream and the, the the reason I'm saying that is because it actually changes everything about the Christian life for you the reason why we get stuck in in is that me Uh, The reason why we get stuck in uh, wrong perspectives and, and ideologies and understandings of the gospel is because we see it through a lens that's more focused on me and what I have to bring than actually my desperate need for Jesus and what he's able to do in and through me. Do you understand the shift? And so when we talk about encounters with God, I think it's important for us to define what we mean. Because it's become a word that's so common in the church, it's become a word that we use all the time. I mean, you, you would have heard me say it all the time. We, we want to encounter Jesus. But I'm, I'm worried and I'm concerned that what we think that means is an atmosphere or a vibe in a room that gives us goosebumps, or an atmosphere or a vibe that makes me feel something that's kind of pleasant and nice and it makes me feel happy, or it gives me peace, or um, it makes me feel better this week because it's actually been really difficult and so it's nice to be in a place where people are just nice and kind and the music was good, and, and I just feel, oh, that's good, and I feel like I've had an encounter. That's not what I'm talking about. To encounter the living God is a startling, life-changing, confrontational event. <laughs> when you encounter the living God, it's not nice. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's profound, but it is terrifying in terms of the weight and the the glory that comes when we meet God face to face. When you read your Bible and you look at these men and women of God who encounter Him, it's it's not easy for you to come face to face with God and walk away the same. It's not easy for you to experience, to truly experience and encounter the living God and walk away and continue in what you're in. It might take a journey, but it sets you on a new trajectory of life. And I think that there's so many of us that have allowed our hearts to settle for a Sunday Christianity or a service-centered Christianity, and we've missed the opportunity, we've missed the invitation to a daily reality of encountering the living God and moving into an ever-increasing glory and revelation of who He is. Are you with me? Is it just me? I can get fired up. I'm just being sensitive because of this mic. You can hear me okay, right? Everyone, you got this? Cool. So we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to pull out a few stories. And before we do that, I want to just say something to you. God loves rescuing people. You've got to get this. God loves rescuing people. He loves to rescue people. He loves to rescue situations, circumstances, relationships, everything. He loves. His nature is he's a rescuer. See, the thing about a rescuer is this. You're not really concerned with what the person in need has to offer you. When they're in danger or when they're in trouble or when there's something going on, God is not, or a rescuer by nature is not going, well, hold on, before I help you out. Let's just see actually what you can bring to the table here. I'll help you if you help. Rescuers don't do that. Think about, you know, whatever it is, the coast guards or the, the guys that go out there into dangerous, dangerous situations, even firemen or whatever. When they run into the burning building, they're not thinking, well, I'll put you on my back and take you out if you actually have something to give me when we get out. They just do it because it's a rescue mission. So by nature, God is a rescuer. He longs to rescue you. And I want to say this today, and I think everybody in this room needs to know this. If it's not good, he's not finished yet. Amen. If it's not good, he's not finished yet. And, and here's the thing. Good doesn't mean how you thought it was going to go. Good means Him. You see, because the reality is if good means good outcome or, or the outcome that I thought, then I look at the Bible and I go, well, it wasn't very good for a lot of them because most of them were martyred or killed or their heads were cut off. or like, That doesn't sound like a, a, an outcome that everyone expected. But the, the goodness of God was revealed in what? In the fact that in the midst of life, there was a daily reality of communion and intimacy with God that demonstrated His nature and His character on the earth. If you're not seeing the character and the nature of God in you right now, He's not finished yet. What you need to do is not get disillusioned, disappointed, disappointed and upset about your state. You need to lean into the goodness of God and say, you're not finished yet, you're still doing something in my heart. If we would be as committed to the process of transformation as God is, we will be a shining bride. Our problem is, we don't commit to the process. We want instantaneous now evidence. And if it doesn't happen now, is God even real and is He even doing it? And it's funny because God doesn't treat you like that. God isn't like, well, if you don't get it now, if you don't understand me now, if you haven't caught my ways now, well, then there's no hope for us. No, the Father is so committed to your journey and your process. The Father is committed to your heart as long as it takes. See, He paid the highest price to remove sin as an obstacle so that He never has to distance Himself from you again. There is nothing that you can do, have done, or ever will do that can separate you from His love. Man, it's good to have my hands free. God is doing things. (laughs) Listen, if we would understand this, then you'll realize that the process is beautiful because it's Him. God does things instantaneously, and He does things over process. And you say, "Well, that doesn't make sense." We, you know, I've heard a gospel that's a, that prosperity-centered gospel, which is it's now, 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 blessed, abundant, everything works, everything's good. It just happens now. It's now, now, now. Claim it, proclaim it, declare it. It's yours now, now, now. Well, the God of the Bible, it's very different. Because I look at the God of the Bible and I go, "Why did you take forty years?" to do something that could be done in 11 days? Why did you allow people to take 40 years to go through a process, a wilderness process that could have taken 11 days? Why does the Father wait thousands of years before introducing Jesus as His plan of salvation? Like, can you see? He's a God of process. You go, Lord, why did you leave us with animal sacrifices? For, all those years before Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice, why? Because God's like, I'm teaching humanity about a substitutionary covenant and sacrifice, and I took as long as I needed to to teach humanity that. I'm committed to the heart of man. I'm committed to the transformation of humanity. See, I want to just encourage you with this: Do not allow your perspective of the gospel to enable you to settle for humanity. If the gospel you believe makes it okay for you to just be human, it's not the true gospel. Because God's work in us is that He's not intimidated by our humanity because He took it upon Himself and He conquered it, but He's taking us on a journey of transformation where we would realize that we were not born to be only human. We were born to be supernatural sons and daughters of God. Now, that's not something that you copy and paste and and put it on your shirt and go, yay, amen, hallelujah, name it, claim it. That's something that you believe, and as you continue to believe every day, fruit is beginning to manifest in your life. You are growing and maturing as a son and daughter, and creation is groaning for the revealing of the mature sons. See, the mature sons are not the ones that have a lot to say but not much fruit. They're the ones who committed to the process and are seeing the evidence of God in them, making them more like Him every day. They are steadfast. They are consistent. Even through the storms, even through the hard times, they're immovable in one thing. My hope is found in Him and Him alone. The only reason why I would not be consistent in my journey with Jesus is if my hope is in anything but Him. When my hope is in other things, when my hope is in my own attempt... Then I live this up and down life. Storms come, I get shaken. If my hope is in Jesus, then my confidence is in Him, which means that when I'm shaky, He isn't, so I lean on Him. Are you with me? Okay. So what you're going to see is this. As we we unpack some of these stories and and these lives of men and women who encounter God, you're going to see something very interesting. They're all major stuff-ups. They're all major stuff-ups. They they got so much wrong. And I mean, like, you're probably sitting here today and you think you're a major stuff-up, and maybe you are. But these guys, these guys are, I'm talking like the elite stuff-ups. So when I read these stories, I'm like, God, thank you that if you can do that with guys like them or women like them, I mean, and God's not measuring sin, don't get me wrong. Like, sin is sin, right? White lie, murderer, sinner. But my point is, these stories are declaring the gospel to us, even from the Old Testament. God is telling the story of His gospel, even through Old Testament characters. Even through Old Testament, not characters, but, but you know what I mean. So, let me just, I'm going I'm to give you a few examples. We're going to focus on Moses um, this morning. But I want to pull out a few things just to, to emphasize my point. Let's use Paul, the Apostle Paul. The guy murdered Christians, so we're talking about a mass murderer. And, and he's, he's doing it under a religious banner, or whatever, but I, I don't know about you, murder's murder, right? Like just because I do it under a good cause, I still kill people. So here's a murderer who's doing it with what he thinks is a righteous cause, and then he has one encounter with God, and Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And and Paul's perspective shifts, He, he has one moment with God that changes the trajectory of his life and sets him on a course for God's glory. Because Paul's dream was Pharisee of Pharisees, God's dream was apostle to the Gentiles. Those are very different things. You cannot expect to have an encounter with God and live your dream. If you're coming into the church with with a, a, a hope that a gospel you're going to hear a gospel that's going to empower you to live your dream, you haven't encountered the Father. Because here's the thing: you think your dream's going to satisfy you, it won't. I promise you. My dream was to play for Manchester United. I look at Manchester United right now. I'm like, thank God that dream didn't come real. <laughs> My point is, you can, you can have dreams and desires in your heart. Not every desire and dream is God. Let me tell you why. You're created to be creative. By nature, your imagination is designing things. So what we do is, we, sometimes we get lost in this. We begin to design a dream. And at the root of that dream is God's desire, but we've dressed it up with creativity and then we get focused on all that stuff and we miss the root. For example, we have people who are talented and gifted with music who want to make music that captures something and touches people's hearts. It affects a room. That's the root of it. And what it becomes is a rock star. And now it's like we've designed the dream. The dream is, I've been there, the dream is I want to play Joburg Day because I want to get in front of as many thousands of people as possible to release music that changes things and affects people's hearts. And now we begin to design the dream, and it's like, okay, now my goals and my desires is, is uh, stages and platforms and festivals and all these different, I want to be a rock star. But actually, the dream of God for your heart is that you're designed and given a gift to capture the sounds of heaven and release them on the earth. And you will never be satisfied until you start to do that one simple thing. I'm using that as an example. Does that make sense? When we encounter God, we die to ourselves and we come alive to his dream. And the beautiful thing is God's dream in you does not come with T's and C's. It doesn't come with terms and conditions like, yeah, this is how it's got to work. And if you don't do this, you don't get it. No, God's dream in you comes with one simple principle. And it's that God is devoted to seeing it fulfilled in your life. The only reason why it takes time to see evidence or or manifest in our life is because we don't yield. And God is not frustrated with you not yielding. He's just waiting. You see, He's outside of time. He's not intimidated by how long. He's committed to your heart because He's living in an eternal reality with you. And if you would do the same, everything changes. Are you with me? So so we see that with Paul. David, a good example, David, he's the king and he sees a beautiful woman on the rooftop and he sleeps with her and then f- freaks out because he knows he's maybe made a mistake. And so what he does is he kills her husband. David, man after God's own heart, kills her husband. Now, here's the thing. The, the prophet comes to David and says, hey, buddy, wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't a good idea. You shouldn't have done that. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, that's not even out of the message, that's just me. Um, And and so he says, hey, you know, that that wasn't a good idea. David repents, but here's the interesting thing. He marries Bathsheba, has a child with Bathsheba, and Jesus is of that lineage. (laughs) So here's my point. We go disqualified as a king no way, that guy's messed up. That's that's wild. There's no way he has a heart after God's own heart. Look at what he just did. But he repents and he still takes ownership and does things. But Jesus is not intimidated by that mess. He actually takes ownership of it. I don't know if you're hearing me. Jesus takes ownership of David's mess. He goes, I'm not intimidated to be of that lineage. I redeem all things. I'm a rescuer. In the Old Testament, Rahab, who's the spy, she's a prostitute, it's Rahab the prostitute. In the New Testament, they don't call her Rahab the prostitute. She's a faithful servant of God. And and also, Jesus is of that lineage. So Jesus is is of the lineage of prostitutes and adulterers and broken people. and, And in there is a mix of some Gentiles too. So you see this and you go this is profound it's like God is saying there's there is no mess no failure no situation no circumstance that's too difficult for me I'm a redeemer I'm a rescuer and what the cross did is it took the emphasis off of the mistake and it put it on Christ and for 2,000 years the church has been trying to catch up with that reality For 2,000 years, we're going through seasons where God is wave after wave, revelation after revelation going, I need you to understand my grace. The moment we deviate from the grace of God, we again begin to focus on our own shortcomings, the nature of man, and what we do is we put obstacles between us and God that He's removed. And so we begin to disqualify each other and ourselves from the call of God Mostly because our hearts are insecure and we are not seeing through the lenses of heaven. What we need is an encounter with the living God. So let me, if you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3. Um, I just, I used Paul and David. There's so many, but we'll, we'll get to these stories as we go. But Exodus chapter 3 is, is where God calls Moses. Now I want to just explain something to you. Moses, when Moses was born, um, all the... the uh, firstborn male kids. The, the kids were being killed. And so there's actually some really anointed midwives who fear God and save kids. That's where Moses' story starts. Some God-fearing, anointed midwives who start saving kids. That's, that's before Moses is called. This is the beginning of Moses' life. And so Moses ends up in Pharaoh's household or in uh, the, an Egyptian home. He's raised... Uh, as an Egyptian, he's raised in a different way of life. And then we see that he's still got some sense of the justice of God in him. And so there's a situation where he actually murders a man. Moses murders somebody. And he gets in trouble. And so he flees and he leaves Egypt. And here's, this, this is what's wild. For about 40 years, he is shepherding sheep, his father-in-law's sheep, out in the hills. Hiding from Egypt. 40 years. I don't know if you knew that. Because when I watched The Prince of Egypt, it happened a lot quicker than that. <laughs> and he was still young. No. When God called Moses, some scholars say he was about 80. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's God. Pretty intense first 40 years of life, Moses. Moses abandoned, an orphan, then adopted into a foreign household, raised in a foreign religion and way and, and culture, then murders somebody, even though it's, it, there was this justice thing in his heart, still the wrong thing to do, murders somebody, has to flee. And then you think, okay, God, finally, you got him out of Egypt. Now do your thing. No, watch some sheep for 40 years. I think majority of the Western church would be frustrated after about three weeks. God, I've been crying out for 40 years. Take me out of Egypt. I'm so tired of that way of life. You got me out of Egypt and now you put me in the wilderness with some sheep. But the reality is Moses is out there. He actually gets married. And here's the thing. He marries a woman he's not supposed to marry. He marries a a woman who's not a Hebrew. And you find out later, we'll talk about this in a second, but how God handles Moses' mistakes. So now, he's about 80 years old. He's in the wilderness, and we're going to read how God calls him. And there's a couple things I want to highlight, but I need you to see something already. Moses is a broken man. Moses has a rough past. Moses has a rough story. Moses has trauma in his life. See, sometimes we think the way God deals with our past is just by cover, never talk about it again, move on and forget it. That's not how God does it. God redeems you and rescues you through it so that when you look back, you see redemption. You don't see hiddenness. God's going to teach us these things. I really believe that over these next couple of weeks, He wants to teach us how He operates. So listen. Listen. Exodus chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God. Take a note of that. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, a bush was on fire, yet it was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn away and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned away to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said to him, I have in fact seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters or their oppressors. For I know their pain and their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land... Uh, To that land, to a land that is good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty. To the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all the Ites. Uh, No Marmites, no. Now behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, and then bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, Certainly I shall be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve and worship God at this mountain. Okay. A couple of things I want us to see. Number one, the miracle is not that a bush was on fire. The miracle was that the bush wasn't burning up. And so something catches Moses' eye because it wasn't wasn't uncommon for bushes to catch fire. There was felt fires and things all the time. So there's a fire and he's watching this fire and suddenly he's going the bush isn't burning. So I don't know how long Moses saw that bush in the distance burning but something drew him that there's a fire that's not consuming what it's burning. I believe this was a prophetic statement already to Moses going I'm going to set you on fire but the fire of God won't consume your life. It's not going to end you. It's actually going to be the very thing that equips you. So Moses is drawn to this and he he has to do something. And this is what's really profound. He actually says to himself, "I I need to turn away from this flock that I'm looking after. I need to turn away and go and see what this thing is. And then God says, when Moses turned away to look, he spoke, Moses, Moses. I want to say to you this morning, what we're witnessing right now is the invitation of encounter. Sometimes you begin to see whether it's in the church community or in somebody's life or you see God moving and you see the fire of God on somebody's life. You see the invitation to the fire of God upon something that's not going to end you. It actually empowers you. It takes you from something that's just a normal bush and makes you a supernatural vehicle for the voice of God. Sometimes we look at that and we see the fire of God but we don't turn away from what we're doing to look but we're in this thing of God I want to encounter you God I want to experience you God I want to experience your fire but we don't take a moment to stop turn away from what we're doing and actually go look you see because God is drawing you he's inviting you but this is, this is the, the beautiful thing he's not waiting for you to find him he reveals himself to you first and he goes this is who I am come do you see this? Moses is just taking care of sheep. And suddenly there's a burning bush. And he's in this bush. God is burning in this bush. And he's just, he's just there waiting. Waiting for Moses to pay attention. And when Moses does, and he turns away to look, God calls him and says, Moses, Moses. He says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And he begins to speak to him. Now here's something so profound about the call of God. God's call or God's encounter with you, when God encounters your life, it is incredibly personal. It's so personal. Because here's what I need you to see. Egypt is personal to Moses. Moses doesn't just have a rough story. He knows Pharaoh. You get this? He grew up in that household. This is personal to him. He's seen the oppression, but he's also been raised in the household. He's got memories. He's got trauma. He's got happy memories. He's, he's got a whole bunch of process that comes with this word, Egypt. And God says, I want to send you to Egypt. And Moses is like, I just spent 40 years t- hiding away from Egypt, taking care of sheep. And God says, I want to send you to Egypt and I'm going to use you to free my people. Now remember, he's, he's drawn I love this theme. You'll see it through the Old Testament. He's drawn Moses to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. The bush was on that mountain. Now, we know later on what you're going to see is that's the same mountain, well, earlier, the same mountain that uh, Abraham offered Isaac. That's the same mountain that uh, Elijah encounters uh, God in the cave. We we see that this mountain, God keeps drawing his people to this mountain. So, So here's... Moses encountering God on the mountain. And then we see God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you back to Egypt. You're going to set them free. Well, I'm going to set them free through you. I want to use you as a a vessel for me. And then he says this at the end. He says, now behold the cry of the children. Sorry, here. And God said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I have sent you. When you've brought them out of Egypt, you're going to serve and worship me at this mountain. So God's saying something to Moses. He's saying, I want to encounter you, and then I want to encounter a people. See, God doesn't call crowds. God calls people. Because God can, this morning, put an invitation to every single person in this room and say, this is what I want for you, I want face-to-face. And, and the, the call goes to the crowd, but the crowd isn't mobilized, your heart is. Nobody else can choose for your heart. So here's God teaching Moses. He's going, I've drawn you to this mountain. I'm revealing myself to you. I know you by name, Moses. Now I'm calling you and I'm giving you an assignment. And it's something that's difficult for you. But it's also revealing my story through you. Because here's the thing. If Moses was able to write his story, I guarantee you it would go like this was uh, abandoned as a baby so that they could save my life. I was adopted into an Egyptian household, raised with Pharaoh. I murdered a man and I had to flee for my life. And I spent 40 years in the desert. And, uh, and what I did was I married a beautiful woman, worked for the father-in-law, built up my business, was successful. I had my own 14 flocks. I took over the business of the father-in-law and ended up living a beautiful, happy life with my two kids, my wife. And we had a beautiful cottage out in the mountains. And uh, thank God for His goodness and His abundance and His prosperity in my life that He saved me from Egypt. That's how most of us want to tell our testimony. God saved me from Egypt. Sheltered me from Egypt and I never had to deal with that again. God goes, I know your story. I know your journey. I know what you've been through. I know Egypt and I know you. And it's because of that very thing I want to use your story to reveal mine. I'm going to write my story through you. I want you to go back to the place where you failed. I want you to go back to the place where you were intimidated and afraid. I want you to go back to where the pain and the trauma and all this stuff is, not because of the pain and the trauma, but because I want you to see what I can do when you give your life to me. Because Moses didn't have to go back and address his mess-ups. He didn't have to go back and and explain things. He didn't have to go back and do any of that. He just had to go back and be obedient. So he goes back to Egypt, and he's obedient, and God moves. moves. Are you with me? What did Moses hear in his encounter with the fire of God, with the voice of God, that gave him confidence to obey? He heard one line that I think is so profound. It's verse 12. Certainly I will be with you. The only time that that statement doesn't light your heart on fire is when you haven't actually seen it. You see, Moses is standing before a burning bush that's not being consumed. The voice of God is speaking to him, calling him by name. He takes his shoes off. He's hiding his face because he's afraid to look at God. This is the most confronting, profound, powerful encounter that you can never unsee. You get this? And then then God's saying, I'm going to use you. I want to take you back to Egypt. And this is what we're going to do. And he's like, Egypt... God, why Egypt? Like, who am I to go back and speak to Pharaoh? Like, he's saying this. He's like, who am I? I'm, I'm the one who was raised in the home with him. Like, I might have even been bullied by him. or, or you know, My life was, how can I be the one that you're going to use? And if I go back, I also killed an Egyptian. Like, They want me. They want to arrest me or kill me. But you want to do that? And then he goes, certainly I will be with you. And Moses goes, okay, that changes things. Why do we need to live in daily encounters with God? Because it's in encounters with God that the evidence and the reality of who God is lands in my heart and gives me a confidence to live today in obedience to Him. You cannot live weeks and months off of an encounter you had weeks and months ago and hope that you're going to sustain or live in that place of obedience because it's not even your own obedience. It has to be His. So how do you receive the obedience of Jesus if you're not encountering Him? And the reason we don't encounter him is because we actually don't understand what he's done for us. I find it interesting that Moses is not coming and saying, hold on, Lord, let me do my animal sacrifice real quick. That hasn't come in yet. But Moses isn't going like, whoa, don't speak to me. You're going to kill me if you speak to me. Let me first shed some blood here. He's not doing that. Because why? Moses didn't initiate this. God did. And here's the essence of the gospel. You didn't initiate this. God did. If we would see that and go, if God's initiating connection and covenant with man he obviously wants something you and this is so beautiful he's saying to Moses he's like I've, i'm encountering you here i'm revealing myself to you and here's what's here's what's going to be the evidence when you come out of egypt when you lead them out of egypt you're going to come to this mountain and worship and serve me we're already beginning to see this priestly thing where god's like i've called you to my presence i've called you you moses and the people of israel to my heart, to my face. And it's funny because here's Moses, the guy who married the wrong woman, who's a murderer, who has no rights. He's not gifted enough. He's not talented enough. He doesn't have any right to be the man. And God goes, hey, you're the man. You get this? And God goes, why? Because your life is perfectly set up for me to tell my story. Wow. Here's, the, here's, here's what successful Christianity is. Is my life yielded enough before God? that it's positioned for him to tell his story. See, if we do this in the church, we get rid of the celebrity spirit, you will never be disappointed with leaders again if you stop putting a celebrity expectation on them and start just saying, my life, God, I want it to be yielded for your purposes. And when leaders begin to do that, we get free from the pressure to perform. Let me tell you, leaders are not any less broken than the people they lead. Their responsibility is to be first followers. We made this commitment as a team. I've said this from the the pulpit many times. My commitment to this house is not to get it right because I'm not going to do that. My commitment to this house is I will follow the voice of Jesus. And if we're going in this direction and he says, nope, then we change and we go where he's going. But we'll follow his voice. Why? Because the reality is I'm no different from you. I need him just as much as you need him. And you need him just as much as I need him. And so it takes the pressure off and puts it on Jesus. He's the only one who can carry it. His leadership is perfect. If you're in this house, here's why I want you to submit to to leaders. I want you to submit to your leaders because we're submitted to Jesus. And if you don't think I'm submitted to Jesus, find another house. Do you get it? Because the, the beautiful thing is if the leaders are submitted to Jesus and you're submitted to Jesus and because of that you can submit to your leaders, we have this healthy relationship. It's called following Jesus together and the government of God can be expressed through the church because we trust each other not because we think we've got it figured out but because we know his leadership is perfect we know that he's in the business of redemption I'm not afraid of making the wrong decision because he makes wrong things right do you get this? So now look at this call, it's personal and God is wanting to write his story through Moses and he's speaking to Moses, he's he's showing Moses that I know you so intimately and I wanna show you my goodness. And so he does this and and Moses goes back, we know the story, I don't have the time to get into this but he leads Israel out of Egypt and again we see the mercy in the process of God because now now it's not just Moses' obedience, now he's gotta lead a million people. This is wild, he's gotta lead a million people in this direction that God's calling them to into the promised land. And along the way, there's so many mistakes. And you got to see this. Here's the process. God knew what was going to happen when he said it to Moses, and he wasn't intimidated. Guarantee you, Moses thought, I give it, this is a three week mission. I'm going to go in, It'll take about a week, to get everyone out of Egypt, deal with Pharaoh. Then the second week will be getting everyone transitioned into the wilderness. Then we'll go through the wilderness. We'll get by three, four weeks' time, month's time, we'll be in the promised land because it's an 11 day journey. And yet, no, 40 years. <laughs> Why? Because they just couldn't get it right. They, 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 they're encountering the living God. He's revealing himself to them, but their hearts are not responding in yieldedness to him. And so when they see the intimidation of what's in the promised land, they're too afraid. Because they didn't have the same encounter Moses had, even though God invited them up the mountain. Yeah. Remember that? Remember God says to all of Israel, hey, I've called you to be a nation of priests to me. And I want you to come up the mountain and worship me. And they go, whoa, there's lightning, there's thunder. The glory of God is on Mount Sinai. No way. Moses, you apparently had an encounter with him and you survived it. So he obviously likes you. So you go up, find out what he wants, and then we'll do that. It's called self-righteousness. And this is where the law came in and all this stuff is introduced. It's to take man on a journey of, of simply yielding, surrendering, giving your life to God and saying it can only be you. Can I, can I suggest something that Jesus has been revealing himself throughout the whole of the Old Testament? The angel of the Lord was in the bush. Who's that? It's the same guy, fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the same guy who reveals himself to Joshua, the captain of heaven's armies. He's the, it's the same Lord. Jesus is reaching into time and into humanity over and over again because he's longing for his people. He's making first contact over and over and over again. Can you see this? God is initiating covenant with you. He's initiating relationship with you. If you're in the pursuit of encounters, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm longing for an encounter with Jesus, I don't get it. I'm looking at everyone else there, these wild encounters, I've never had anything. Have you stopped what you're doing and turned to look at the burning bush and said, God, I'm going to actually come over and have a look so you can speak to me. I'm going to position myself. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to be obedient to you. Because the difference between Moses and Israel was that Moses understood that God wanted him. The greatest obstacle to encounters is your perception of who he is. The greatest obstacle to you encountering God is when you think he might just not want me here right now. I'm actually in a really tough place and I'm difficult. But I'm just, God, I, I don't know if you actually like what's happening in my heart right now. In fact, You seem to like other people more, so maybe you prefer that and you just have certain people that you do these burning bush things with. No, the difference is that when God initiated contact, Moses went. Moses responded. God's not looking for you to get it together. He's just looking for your response. He's making first contact and he's saying, come. It's a sad day when we can have church services And you can attend church services for years and years and never encounter the living God. It's a sad day. And I know God is speaking to the very core of 24-7 this morning. And He's saying, you are not a house that does good Sunday services. You're a house of my presence. God wants to cultivate a way of life in this church and in this house that will be a lighthouse prototype model to the Western church, the church in our city, to say there is something greater than just belonging to a church, which is vital. It's more than that. It's coming alive in the invitation of God that he can tell his story through you. This changes your attitude. This changes your heart posture. This changes your energy levels. I'm running on about 40 minutes of sleep right now. It changes everything. Why? Because something grabs a hold of your heart. It's like, this is wild. I have nothing to give. I, I, I don't know why God likes to use us, but he does. And he loves me. And that's it, full stop. There's no debate. It's done. He initiated. I'm responding. See, if what I felt this morning is that like God is breaking down the walls that we've put up because of our wrong perceptions of who he is. God cannot be disappointed with you because of what Jesus has done. It's impossible. The obstacle is that you're disappointed with yourself. Unforgiveness does not stop God from working in your life. It stops you from receiving. Because God has forgiven you. Unforgiveness is when you haven't forgiven yourself or others. So hear this. If we would get the gospel in us, then we realize, okay, wow, Lord... The way you see things brings such freedom, joy, and liberty that if I can just align with your perspective, I'm free. Because I am free positionally, and I'm learning to live in freedom by simply seeing what you see and doing what you do. If you just, I want you to take a moment right now and think about God. Just think about God. What do you think about If I say God, what comes to mind? What are the things about Him that are the first thoughts in your mind when you think about it? Because A.W. Tozer, he says it so beautifully. He says this, your perception of God or what you think about when you think of God is the most important thing about you. See, if my perception of God is this, well, God, you, you... of everybody, you know my secrets. You know my mess. You know the hidden stuff that nobody else knows. You know. So how how can I come to you? Because I know and I don't like myself, and, and so if you know, how can you like me? This is ninety nine point nine percent of Christians. And and you know what God's answer is? Let me show you a brutal cross. Let me show you what I went through to make sure that that perspective and perception will never be had of me again. Can you see the Father's heart? He's saying, can, If you look at the cross, do you understand that I've done everything that needs to be done so that when you look at me, the perception should never be, He's mad, He's angry, He's disappointed, He can't forgive me, It's too bad, I'm, I'm too far gone. He's going, I'm a rescuer, I'm a redeemer. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to the process. I'm committed to your heart. Do you know what the gospel does? The gospel takes the burden and pressure of change off of you. Because that very burden was never what you were called to carry, and it's crushing the church, because what it does is over time, you realize that you're never going to get there in your own strength. So what you do is you just take the law again. You put the law on yourself, and you go, yep, there it is. I told you I'll never meet the standard. I'm done. So you get tired and exhausted. You've tried. You've tried the church thing. I've tried the gospel thing. I've tried the Christian thing. I've tried. It's exhausting. I can't do it. I'm just sick of the church, and now I become critical, analytical, pointing fingers at everyone else, because I actually hate myself. And in this hour, in this time, there's a bridegroom king who was reaching into humanity since the beginning of time. He was the light that the Father spoke. He has been reaching into the brokenness of humanity for as long as humanity has existed, going, I am coming to redeem and rescue and prepare a people for me. You're going to look like me. You're going to act like me. You're going to live like me. Not because of anything else except one simple thing. I initiated contact. I initiated. I, I, I spoke. I acted. When you, couldn't, when you couldn't fix things, when you couldn't make it right, when you couldn't rescue yourself, when you couldn't change, I died while you were still a sinner in your deepest, darkest, most broken place. I died. Not only did I take your place in your mess, he's like, "I, I put you in myself. I left time. When he died and he gave up his spirit, he left time so that he could take all of existence into himself, past, present, and future. Not just sin, also that he could minister his righteousness. Abraham now lives in the righteousness that Christ paid for over here. How is that possible? Because when he did it, he did it outside of time. So when Jesus gave up his spirit, left time, he took Abraham and everyone before Christ into himself and said, my righteousness. And then he went into the future and he took everyone from Jesus all the way until the end and he took them into himself and he said, my righteousness. And then when he comes back into time, he's carrying all of humanity with him. And he says, now I am the firstborn, the first fruits of a new way, supernatural sons and daughters covered in the blood of Jesus. Ah, this is wild. He's the firstborn and he's like, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until you have that because when you do have it, you're going to be a walking force of heaven. And then what it's going to look like is lonely people who love, who are not looking for platform, who are not trying to be impressive, they're looking for the lowest places. See, this gospel that I'm preaching right now, this will expose every false gospel out there. Every gospel that we grab a hold of that's not the true gospel that we add onto our lives to make us feel better when we're actually not even born again, this gospel is going to expose, it. and what it'll do is it'll grab your heart and say, "Come to me." Because when you encounter me, when you look me in the eye, when you experience the fire of God, it might not be this instantaneous perfect change, but inside you are perfect. You get born again. You're positioned in him. And he's like, now I want to teach you what this means. Because just like Moses, he was in the, the Egyptian household. When he left, he had to figure out a new way of life, how to follow God. Because in that time, it was really difficult. So th- this is the thing. You've been homeschooled in the wrong home. So when you get born again, God's like, you're a son, done, a daughter, done, righteous, holy, perfect, nothing changes, I'm yours, you're mine, I'm committed to you, I make contact, you respond, let's do this thing. Now he says, walk with me. And now you're taking your first steps as a born again believer, but we think that from born again, I've got to be Usain Bolt, sprinter. You get it? And then we're disappointed, like, but did anything change? Because... Like I'm still developing muscles in my legs. And it's because you're learning what the Holy Spirit sounds like. You're learning what He feels like. You're learning what His presence is like. You're taking steps and you're maturing. And suddenly you're getting stronger. And when you make a mistake, you know, now that I'm a dad, I'm like, if she makes a mistake, I'm like, I got you. Like, man, she doesn't know what she's doing sometimes. She's hungry, so she starts to kick and scream. I'm like, if I just dropped you, you're done. (laughs) Like you're screaming, this is exhausting, it's three o'clock in the morning, but I'm not going to drop you you get it? You don't know what you're doing. You're kicking me and it's sore and you're going to fall. But I got you and I'm your dad. Can you see this? If that's us on an earthly level, do you think the father is intimidated by your mess? He's He's taking you on a journey. He's like, stop it. Stop looking at the mess. Stop. Stop looking at the mess. Look at me. I got you. Look at me. I got you. One step, one step. Okay, now we're walking quicker. Okay, now we're jogging. Okay, now we're sprinting. Yeah, now we're Usain Bolt. Now we're winning 100 meter races. Now we're changing cities, changing regions, changing the nations. Why? Because I'm growing in my faith every day actually believing who God is. Where did it start? An encounter with a God who reached out first. And if you're not having encounters with Jesus, this life is impossible. What I've just described, it's a nice story unless you encounter him. So how do we live this life? Only receive and believe so that you can become. So every day, God is wanting to reach into your life like he's been doing for thousands of years since the beginning of time. You get this? Same way he reached in with Moses and with Abraham and with Joshua. He's reaching into your life every day. Here's the difference. He says, I'm not just coming externally to try and touch you. I've put myself inside of you. In other words, when I'm reaching, you're going to feel it from the inside. It's like a groan. You're going to feel something on the inside of you that's changed. It's not the same. Now, how you live is different. And it's different because of one simple thing. You're not trying to change your behavior. You're aware of something you weren't aware of before. It's him. You get it? So now what happens when... Because I'm going to hit one more thing. and I'm, Okay, give me five minutes. You're following Jesus. You've made mistakes, even as a Christian. Maybe you're here in 10, 15, 20 years into following Jesus, and you've made mistakes in those years. And because of that, you look at yourself and you go, sure, sometimes I question the depth and the reality of what I've actually experienced with God. I want to tell you, it's one of the greatest strategies of hell right now, is to get you to question what God's done in you. Your mistakes do not define you. They don't define you. What you've got to be careful of is on the other side of this, we take a grace message that's like, well, because nothing defines me, it's all just free, I can do whatever the heck I want because God loves me. That's, not, that's the wrong attitude. That person hasn't encountered Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you see the redemption of God, the, the rescue mission of God in your life, and you feel that He's holding you, and He's taking you on a progressive journey into Him. In other words, you, it might be baby steps, but you know you're moving. Yesterday, I didn't have this conviction, or yesterday, I didn't have that thought, or yesterday, I wasn't aware of your presence, but today I am. And yesterday, I heard you speak, but I questioned it and I doubted, and so I didn't act in obedience. Today, I heard you speak, and I felt courage to do it. What's happening in my heart? I'm following Jesus, I'm learning to follow Jesus. But here's what I want to say to you maybe you're 20 years into your journey with God, and it didn't turn out the way you thought. Maybe your business failed. Maybe your ministry folded. Maybe you thought you were called to ministry and God actually had different plans and all that changed and you're really disappointed by that. Maybe you have a broken family. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe your relationships haven't worked out. Maybe you're in crazy debt. Maybe you made some bad decisions. Whatever it is, you look at that and we go, well, I I can't see the evidence of God because look at my life. And I want to say you're looking at the wrong things. Because when God is measuring your life, He's not measuring it by those things. I want, to, I want to be very clear on this. Because what happens is when we do that, we put an ungodly burden and pressure on our shoulders. It's called performance. When I don't see certain situations and circumstances happen the way I thought or what I think is right, suddenly I feel like I failed. Take your eyes off of the outcome and put your eyes on the source because the difference is when you go God my life is yours I yield to you write your story the story's not up to me my responsibility is to encounter him and keep a heart that's humble and soft before him to receive him every day as long as I am receiving him he can do whatever he wants to do because sometimes God's protecting you from something you don't even see but yet you're taking legalism holding God to a legalistic perspective and saying no it's supposed to be this way God, why didn't it happen like this? You're a rescuer. Why didn't you fix it this way? And God's like, you don't even know what I was rescuing you from. You think, you think that I'm rescuing you from that outcome or, or, or that by having the outcome, I would have rescued you, but you don't even know that that outcome would have killed you. Do you get this? See, I know this is deep. Just try and hear what I'm saying. Take your eyes off the outcome and keep your eyes on the source, on Jesus, and let him design his story and write his story through you that way when life takes turns that you didn't expect hear me because this is for every single person's room you're all I can see it landing when life takes turns that you didn't expect when the situation is not how you thought it was going to go when it's different and it's challenging and it's hard and maybe it looks like it failed or it looks like it's not working stop turn away come to the burning bush and hear him call your name Because the reality is he is rescuing you and redeeming you through it all. He's not trying to get around it and going like, ugh, I hate that, that's gross, I don't like that. No, he's like, I'm writing something through it. So here's the thing. Some of you started that business and it failed. And you go like, well, where was God? I don't see, I really stepped out in faith in that one and that one just crashed. So now what you've done is your perception of God is that his goodness is measured by the outcome of your situation rather than leaning into the source and going, okay, God, what are you doing in me? And suddenly something comes out of your life that was not, you didn't even know that that was in you. You didn't even know that was where you were going. You thought it was going to look like this and God's like, man, I I love your creativity, but actually I'm writing something in you and it looks like this. And then you get there and you go, this is what I was born for. I didn't know it. I thought I was going to be this. But God took me here and actually this is where I'm, I'm called to fly. You will fly in the kingdom when you're yielded to him, not when you have it all figured out. Because you never will. You get it? Is everyone okay? This is a lot, I know. So, God is a God of encounter. And through the whole Bible, He's encountering mankind. He's drawing us into that space. And He's speaking to 24 7 and He's saying, If you will allow me to be the God of encounter to you, who I am, if you let me be who I am, when you experience Him, everything begins to change. It's a new trajectory. Life doesn't look the same anymore. Because your internal world has come alive. And this is the beauty of God. He's not like, well, here's the, the, the switch that you flip to change your life. One encounter with me and you'll never be the same. True statement, one encounter you will never be the same. But one encounter leaves you hungry for another. And another. And another. And suddenly you go like, oh, God, you actually designed me to live in a rhythm of encountering you. So when we say like face to face, that's not like, yeah, remember that time 20 years ago that I saw your face. You know, people, when we talk about Paul... They go like, well, Paul was radical because, hey, he literally got knocked to the ground on his way to Damascus, bright light around him. He was blind for three days and and he heard the voice of God. Like, if, if I had that, I would live like Paul. Let me tell you, I promise you this. That encounter didn't sustain Paul for the years, the decades that he served God. Daily encounters. Why? Philippians 3, where he says, I counted all his loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's going like, The whole thing, I count all of it. I count the outcomes. Everything that society and even the church says is success, I count it as garbage. I count it as loss for one thing, that I know Him today. If I know Him today, I'm good because He's holding me. His steadfast hand is on my life. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Because when you have this, you're unstoppable. Pain. Trauma, failure, disappointment, struggle can't stop the gospel. It can't. It can't stop or hinder hope that's in Jesus. Maybe it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. But if it's Him, watch what's about to happen. He makes all things new. He makes all things new. See, okay, last thing. He makes all things new. God, this is my struggle. This is my difficulty. I'm waiting for you to make it new. It's collapsing, it's falling apart, it's done. God, where the heck are you? You said you'd make this new. I thought you were going to make this new. Where are you, Lord? And God's going, can you just stop, look up, look at, where am I? Oh, wait, he's over there, there's the burning bush. He's calling me, I come to him. Connor, Connor, here's what I want you to do. God, how can I be the guy that does that? Because I'm writing my story through you. I'm with you, certainly I'm with you okay, God, I can walk in obedience, but Lord, I thought you were going to make that new, but now you have me here. And as I'm walking here, it's like, oh, he makes all things new. Oh, this is newness. Oh, this is different. Oh, I'm flying. I didn't even know this was what flying looked like. Oh, this is the dream that God had for my life. Oh, it's different. Oh, my decisions have changed. The outcome is different. I don't have to look back at the pain struggle I don't have to define myself by this moment I'm in a newness of life that Romans 6 talks about every day I'm walking in newness now my eyes my vision has changed okay yes did I lose things did I did I experience loss sure I did it was a difficult season stuff happened but guess what I counted all as loss anyway for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus so now I can actually do all things through Christ who strengthens me even when it doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like you get it God is drawing you and inviting you into encounters. Please tell me you're getting this this morning. He's so in love with you. He's so passionate about you. He's so passionate about you. So what you want to do is this. You want to get real hungry and just go like, Lord, forget all of it. I count it all as loss. Forget this stuff. Forget the outcomes, forget the struggle, forget the pain, forget the trauma. Is it real? Yes, it's real. It's just not more real than him. So I I can put it aside and I can say, I need you. So I'm coming after you. I'm turning away to come to the burning bush. I want to hear you call my name. Because when I hear you call my name, here's what I hear I'm with you. So when I ask you to do something, it's going to be with me and in me. That's the life you're called to live every single day. Now you wake up tomorrow morning and it's a little different when you walk into whatever you've got to walk into tomorrow, you've seen a burning bush. And it didn't consume the bush. It used it as a vehicle for his voice. And God's like, now you are my burning bush. The fire of God's upon your life. And it's not going to kill you. It's going to empower you. Now you're burning wild lovers of Jesus who can be put anywhere. God can put you anywhere. God can change every aspect of your life. It's okay because I got him. Certainly he's with me. Please tell me you got this. I'm not interested in preaching a good sermon. I'm looking at you with a longing in my heart going like, I need this so bad. Man, I need this. You need this. If we would just take this and say, yes, Jesus, yes. Just yes. Yes, God. I don't even know what that means, but yes. Watch what he'll do. Why don't you stand with me this morning? What if, what if how God makes broken things beautiful is by taking your eyes off the broken things? <sighs> Just think about that for a second, because sometimes we're looking at the broken thing, waiting for it to look prettier. <laughs> God, when are you going to make that broken thing look a bit better? When are you going to dress that up a bit? That, I don't like this broken thing. I'm waiting for you to fix it. And he's like, actually, the way I make things new is by taking your eyes off of what's old and putting your eyes on what's me. And suddenly, beauty becomes who you are. He beautifies the humble. That's what the Bible says. I know I've kept you in this heat and we're all dripping. I'm, I'm wet right now. But I just want to say this. Here's, if I was standing before a burning bush, I'm pretty sure I'd be sweating. And I just—I can feel like the stir in my heart this morning is is just saying, I need you to know 24-7 that I am the God of encounter. I need you to know this morning that I am the God who makes first contact. I'm the God who loved first. I don't love in response to you. You respond to me. My story and my dream was written before the foundations of the world and I want to tell my story through you. And you'll never be satisfied or fulfilled until you yield to my story. I am your Redeemer. I am your Deliverer. I am your Rescuer. But more than anything, I'm your God. And so I want to ask you to do something right now. Whatever you look at in your life and see as brokenness, I want you to just, in your own heart, and your own words, give it to Him. And just say, Jesus, I know that you know this stuff. I know that you see it. I know that it's real, but it's not more real than you. And I know that you're my rescue and redeemer, so I give it to you. And then I want you to, by faith, let it go. God, thank you that I can take my eyes off of this. I'm not going to allow the deceiver, the accuser, to keep pulling me back from different angles and directions to look at this. I'm cutting myself free this morning from something that you said I'm free from because you paid the highest price. I'm not looking at it anymore. I'm looking at you. And then as you let that go, just by faith, you just breathe them in. You go, thank you that I am the righteousness of God through Christ. That when you took my place, I'm just praying this over you. You just received this. When you took my place, God, you took every form of brokenness, sin, failure, and disappointment into yourself. And you conquered it once and for all. So Jesus, right now, would you give me, give us your eyes. God, I want to see you for who you are. I want to see me the way that you see me, and I want to see others the way that you see others. Father, I say yes to the invitation this morning to a life of daily encounters with the living God. Because you are not a once off God. But every day there's fresh and new mercy. If there's new mercy every day, can't you see that He wants new encounters every day? If His mercies are new every morning, can you not see the invitation is fresh encounters every morning? Yeah, this freedom right now. Some of you are experiencing it. This freedom. He's cutting away the lies. He's cutting away deception. He's cutting away pain. He's cutting away trauma. He's cutting away fear. He's saying, I am not a God of fear. I'm a God of love. And perfect love casts out all fear. The worry and the anxiety and the concern and all these things that seem like the right emotions in this moment. He says, no more. Look into my eyes. Receive my mercy. Receive my grace. And some of us are already going like, okay, God, I just hope that this week I don't struggle with the same things. I just hope that I don't fall back into that. And God's going, stop. I am rewiring your mind. I am giving you the renewed mind of Christ. You are not thinking the things I'm thinking. But what God is thinking right now is this. You are mine. That's what he's thinking. You're mine. You belong to me. I will never let go of you. I have you in the palm of my hand, and I will hold you, and my steadfast love will lead you, will guide you, will cover you and protect you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely. Yes. So let him speak to your heart today. He's saying, My beloved, my beloved. If you want an encounter with Jesus, what he's saying to you today is this, I'm already here. Just turn and look. See, I want to, somebody needs to hear this right now. You've been looking for encounters instead of looking for the God of encounter. Moses was not looking for a burning bush. He was just in a field pondering the things of God. And suddenly something catches his eye. And it's God revealing himself in a way that he's never seen before. See, he was encountering the God of encounter, but he wasn't in pursuit of just encounters. Some of you have been in seasons where you're like, man, I've tried this. I've gone after this. I've been longing for encounters. And God's like, just long for me. Just come after me. I am the God of encounter. I'm faithful to reveal myself. Come after me. Remember this, this morning, church. He knows you so personally. He knows how to speak to you. He knows how to minister to you. He knows how to reveal himself to you. You don't have to look at others to try and find your own experience of God. You just look at him and let him minister to you. Let him come find you in the secret place. So Holy Spirit, right now, I just release the grace of God over this room. And I thank you for the environment, the atmosphere, and the climate of heaven. God, every thought and every emotion, every feeling from my mind and every person in this room that's not in your heart thank you that right now the blood of Jesus has washed over us and removed those lies every root, every stronghold of thought that's taken root in our minds right now, we exalt Jesus above it and we bring down every lofty thought and the way we do it is by receiving the perfect love of Jesus because his perfect love is casting out every bit of fear right now. There's, God is delivering his people of fear. God's delivering his church of boredom. Because you cannot get bored when you're in a daily reality of encountering the living God. Christianity is not boring, it's not tedious it's not a routine it's a new and living way it's a born again experience Father I thank you would you speak to our hearts and just remind us that we're not called to measure up We're not called to measure up to a standard. We're called to receive the perfection of Christ. So thank you that when grace fills the room, when grace comes upon us as your people, there is no heaviness, there is no pressure, there is no condemnation, there is no burden. Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we can breathe in with freedom all the fullness of who you are. So if you are here right now, I feel like there might be a few that this really landed on your heart. Um, When you encounter Jesus, you no longer live for your dream, you live for his. Some of you, when that landed, it was painful because you've fallen in love with your own dream and that's okay it's just the father is revealing something to us this morning and he's saying I am your dream I'm the only one that's going to fulfill you and satisfy you and I'm a good father I'm actually showing you that if you were to do what you want to do you would never walk in what you were born for you would never live in the things that I've paid for so the father says to your heart this morning hear me my son and my daughter, you're mine. It's the safest place you'll ever be. And it's the greatest adventure you'll ever experience. It's life with Jesus. There's some of you that have been so stuck in the pain of your failure, on the pain of your sin, on the pain and the struggle of cycles in your life, addictions. Whatever it is, just so many things. And I can guarantee you, every single person in this room can relate to what I've just said. And if that's what you're processing right now, the Father's coming and He's saying, I'm just lifting your head, I'm taking your gaze, fixing it on me. And I'm showing you, you don't have to look at those things anymore because it's been paid for. You don't have to earn freedom. It's a gift. It's a gift. I love you, I love you, I love you, right now I just see every bit of stress, anxiety and fear, it's lifting. We receive that right now. We receive your perfect peace, God. Lord, I release burning bush encounters over this room. Some of you, I feel, the Lord would say to you right now, as you turn aside And come after me the trajectory of your life is about to change and it looks nothing like you thought but it's glorious are you prepared to turn away from the comfort of what you thought your life would look like for Moses it was tending a flock are you prepared to turn away and look at him and allow him to speak to you because he's calling your name this morning And I want to just say to you, just brace yourself because what you might hear on the other side of these encounters is adventures and assignments and things that God puts in your heart that you never even dreamt of or thought, but it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And God's saying to you, I am going to write my story through your life. And I'm faithful to do it. I am committed to you. And I'll end with this. God saying that to your heart. I am committed and devoted to your heart. I'm devoted the journey. I'm devoted to the process. I will have my glory in and through your life. Yield. Yield. So Holy Spirit, I thank you. If I've said anything this morning that's not in your heart, Lord, I know you're faithful that it would be forgotten. But God, I do ask that that which is of you, I do ask that the gospel would be firmly established in our hearts this morning. That our perspective would be washed. That our hearts would be rejuvenated. That we would be revitalized in your presence. But that we would say yes to the glorious eternal invitation of daily encounters. Walking with you. Lord, you started in a garden. You started in a garden walking with man every day. You stated your intent from the beginning. We do not live in an Old Testament Eden reality. We live in a New Testament Eden covenant. We love you. We receive you. We worship you. Have your glory this morning, God, I pray. You, Holy Spirit thank you Holy Spirit one of the prophetic artists in the house drew this picture it's a candle with a smoldering wick she just felt Isaiah 42.3 and I want to read it over you this is the justice of Jesus over your life. A broken reed He will not break and a dimly burning wick He will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed in spirit. He will persevere until He has established His justice on the earth. Father, thank You that Your covenant to us, Your, your, your commitment to us is Your faithfulness and Your steady hand. So Lord, if there are people in this room that feel like a dimly burning wick right now, I thank you that you do not extinguish that. But God, you're actually breathing over the embers of those little flames, those little coals, and you're actually saying, come to life. There's more. There's more for you. If you feel like a bruised reed, Jesus is saying, I don't break bruised reeds. and nurture them back to strength. Yeah, he really loves you this morning. He really loves you. So thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you minister this to our hearts? Would you continue to do this in Jesus' name? Thank you, Holy Spirit. What we're going to do is, um, if you want to linger just a little longer, you can do that and just enjoy him as he moves. If if you need to go, uh, you you can go and just know that we love you and uh, we're so excited for what God's doing in your life. Um, you can get coffee on your way out and connect. I just ask that maybe we honor this space. If our people encounter the Lord, let's just keep this space sensitive. and um, If you need prayer, our team will pray for you up front but as you go today I I pray that you go with a deep hunger to know him more to encounter him to experience him and to know that you're in a family following Jesus with you running after him together we're praying for you we love you we believe in you we believe in God's story in your life and uh, we're excited to see the expressions of God's heart through 24-7 so bless you as you go And a reminder, next week, it's Saturday night. We'll be having our service. It's going to be good. And uh, we really do love you. And again, thank you, Jesus. You're so wonderful. And uh, we honor you this morning. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.